Christmas, season's greetings, and welcome to NBA Sound System. Carlin Gay alongside Micah Adams and Gil McGregor. Happy holidays, gentlemen, and welcome into the podcast. This is one of the, uh, we won't say, uh, we won't say what we were saying off the air about this podcast, will we? Why would we do that? It's one of the... I'm excited, baby. Five great (laughs) games on Christmas. Wall-to-wall action. 12 hours of hoops. Tuned in all day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's yeah. something for everyone. There's something, something for, for everyone. That's, that's a good way to put it. There's a lot of presents under the tree for everyone. And we're going to put some for some NBA teams as we uh, take a look at our power rankings over on NBA.com. We'll also talk about that weird report that came out about Kawhi Leonard and good old Uncle Dennis back in the news. And uh, he, gets, he gets some coal for Christmas, right? I was just going to say, who, who deserves a lump of coal? Should we start there or should we go straight nah, to the... No, let's go straight to the rank. Let's Come go back. straight we to the... We, we don't, the you, don't, you don't start Christmas morning <laughs> by jumping into a bag of charcoal. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, with the lump of coal. Let's give us some presents. Um, the power rankings were done by our good friend Scott Rafferty over at NBA.com. He had a hand in putting that together. Uh, the top 10 goes as follows. Heading in to the big day, which is Christmas Day for the NBA. Top 10 goes as follows. The 76ers at 10, Dallas Mavericks at 9, the Denver Nuggets 8, Toronto Raptors on that big comeback fall 7th, Houston Rockets, man, quietly 6th spot right now. The Boston Celtics also quietly in the top 5, Miami Heat, Clippers, Lakers, and number 1, the Milwaukee Bucks. That is your top 5 in this week's power rankings heading into Christmas Day. I want to give out some gifts. Let's start with the top 10. We'll start at 10 with the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, if you read NBA.com, you'll see that the gift for them is spacing on offense. Micah, do you agree with that one or you want to give them something else? No, that's the only one to give them. Okay. And it's spacing from from all directions. Uh, we don't need to turn this into a Ben Simmons needs, needs to learn. I was how to hoping. Shoot I was hoping to walk you down that aisle. <laughs> no, we're, I'm not. You don't need to walk me down that aisle. I, I have been. I've been up <laughs> up and down that aisle. I think I've I've been out the altar there for for what feels like far too long. One thing that I saw you, brought you up earlier. Be, you seem to actually have friends now that are joining I do. you on that walk. I, it's it getting out great. of hand. <laughs> it feels great. I'm not the only one. I used to be going to these uh, <laughs> these spacing AA meetings. I'd show up and be the only one in a dark room. Yeah. Now it's, it's we got the lights on. We got, we're bringing chairs in. Yeah, it's trendy. There's a neon sign <laughs> popping outside. It's great. Uh, not quite a line around the corner. One thing I do want to mention that I, that I find interesting, somebody brought up um, the other day, what if the Sixers had not included Landry Shamit mm-hmm. in that trade for Tobias Harris? Mm-hmm. I mean, you you look back at the time, it seemed like they something that they probably didn't need to do was a rookie shooting over 40% from three. And I, I think those are those little things that tend to get forgotten. Mm-hmm. Imagine this team with Landry Shamit on it. I, look, he's not, you know, he's a young, nice player, might not ever make an all-star team, but... That would fill a pretty sizable hole for a team that many people think uh, has a chance to win the NBA title. No question. Um, and I just, I, I just, I, I had forgotten that they even had him. Yeah. Um, and then you, you go back to thinking what this team might look like with someone like Shamit on it. Uh, yeah, spacing. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. You think about uh, what were they so comfortable letting Shamit go because they had JJ Redick and they didn't see imagine him leaving, I guess, down the line. But I mean, obviously, hindsight is 2020. It's the guy who's shooting 39% from three this year with the Clippers. And uh, you look at, at Philly and their offense, and sometimes it staggers, and, and sometimes they have guys who can hit shots, and then the next 
the next night they can. Is, is it going to be Josh Richardson? Is it going to be uh, Tybu, like being a guy who kind of becomes that shooter? He's, he's excellent on defense, but who's really going to be that guy? And I know something that we had a conversation with uh, about, and Brett Brown mentioned it, and, and you guys did it on a, on a video you guys recently did, just the concept of Ben Simmons taking a three-pointer per game, one per game. Like, he doesn't have to hit it. But just just take one three pointer, and defenses will have to guard him differently. Even if he makes one, let's say he makes one every three games, I think that that just changes the complete outlook of their offense ever so slightly. But it can make things go in motion a little bit better for them. That's important. Yeah. I, I want to touch on that the Brett Brown quote um, because that was the first time Brett Brown had said anything about Ben Simmons taking three-pointers in a sort of negative light. Like, it, it always had been kind of wait and see. It's coming. We're not going to rush him. We don't need it. All those things. That was the first time where it seemed like he became frustrated like everybody else about his three-point shooting. So that brings me to ask you, uh, we're at a point now where he, it's not just about him taking those threes anymore. Like, taking those threes would have been at the beginning of the season. Now he has to make them. For people to kind of respect them. It's take, make, and it, it's not even just, I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's three-pointers, but I mean, it's, it's jump shots of every kind. I was, I, I, I was looking at something random. This is completely random the other day. Mm-hmm. Did you know that Ben Simmons, if you take all of his shots from the entire year and take the average of how far away they are from the basket, they are the exact same as Shaquille O'Neal. Wow. In the 2000-2001 season. He's a point guard in 2019. That's insane. And his shot distribution is the say same that, as Big say Diesel. Say that one more time for people that didn't catch that. the Because that is, to think about Shaq in his prime, he didn't do anything outside of the semicircle. No. Like, everything was. Drop yeah, step, dunk. it was. Wow. Hook. Feathery touch, 4.7 feet from the basket. That's wow. on average where Ben Simmons is shooting from. That's the exact same as Shaq the year after he won the MVP. Of course, the big difference is the big fellow is putting up like 28 and 13 mm-hmm. and winning MVPs and getting to the line a billion times a game. Couldn't make him, but mm-hmm. he at least still got there, right? Ben Simmons is averaging 13 points a game, doesn't shoot a ton of free throws. It just, it's it's unfathomable to me that you can operate like that as the main playmaker and ball handler of a good team in 2019. Of a hopeful t- title contender. Yeah. You know, you can't, I, I think that, that's a big thing with it. You, you can't truly say that you have hopes to win a title <laughs> if that is what you have going on. And I think that, like, that's the thing, too. It's not like when he took the threes this year, it was a bad result. He didn't clank them off the side of the backboard. He didn't just look terrible, like, don't ever shoot again. He made a couple of them. He's shooting 40%. And he's, 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 two for, he's two for five. And, and I'm sure some of those five are, are heaves as well. So it's like, be a threat. You know what I yeah. mean? Make, make, make defenses think you're going to take exactly. one dribble up and, and shoot. And the, the thinking thing to me, so like Joel Embiid, his teammate, perfect example of somebody that shoots way too many mm-hmm. threes. Mm-hmm. But the minute he even starts that motion, it's like a reflex. Defenders jump. Right, they still right. like keep pump fakes and gets, see, he probably draws two or three fouls a game just from pump fakes alone. You can't just turn off that instinct as a defender. Someone's gonna it's gonna pump. You're gonna react. Right. Like right. even doing that would, would open up the world for him. Joel Embiid right now is shooting about three and a half threes per game. He's shooting 31% from deep. That's actually down from a year ago where he was shooting four a game. So uh, Embiid has pulled it back a little bit, but he's also taking less shots overall 
And that's without Jimmy Butler on the team. So if you don't have an aggressive Joel Embiid, you don't have an aggressive Ben Simmons, who is it on? Is that on Tobias Harris to now step up and be the guy? Is that on Brett Brown to make sure that these guys come to prepare to play? Because we've seen Joel Embiid at his best. We've also seen Ben Simmons at their best at points this season, but we haven't seen it together. It's on so them. Who's I mean, on? Is it's it on, on them? them. I, look, like at, we can say that, yeah, Brett Brown, I, you've been very critical of Brett Brown and the, and, and the degree to which he has not found a way to get the most out of Ben Simmons. At the end of the day, it's on Simmons and Embiid. Brett Brown can change his schemes. Tobias Harris can step up, uh, you know, as can Josh Richardson. But, like, you have a pair of all-stars, both of which have MVP-type caliber ceilings. Like, at some point, you got to be the guy that gets it done. And, you know, Embiid can certainly do it on an, on a when he chooses to, but that effort comes and goes and wanes. And Simmons just – he hasn't shown the improvement. There's just a, there's a complete – lack of consistency and a lack of, of urgency from both of those two guys. Hey, like maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe it's on Brett Brown or the front office, or they, they don't have a, a team leader anymore with Jimmy Butler and JJ Reddick on. I don't know what it is, but something, the fact that the six, the 76ers leading into Christmas are only 10th in the NBA in power mm-hmm. rankings. I don't know. That that's, that's bad. They're 21 and 10 as we record right now. Uh, they'll play Christmas Day against the Milwaukee Bucks, who are right now the class of the NBA. Is there another duo that you can think of in your mind, Gil, that reminds you of oil and water like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons that figured out a way to make it work? Figured out a way to make it work. Uh, Or go the other way, that you remember them just crashing and burning. Historic, historically speaking, or, or yeah, any, anything, any, any historically speaking, man. Oh, that was a tough one. I put you on the spot. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even have an answer. You know, I just threw it out. There. <laughs> when you first said duo, and, and I'm thinking of duos who who have all the talent in the world and like need to kind of mesh better, I, I thought immediately Minnesota. It's just going on right now. You think about Towns and and Wiggins who have all the talent in the world, but somehow mm-hmm. it's just not really there. Um, but, but historically speaking, man, can you think uh, of one, Michael? Hey, you'd be another Minnesota one. What about KG and Steph Marbury? That yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Mar- Marbury was, you know, supposed to be a, an Iverson type, right? Right in that class of a superstar caliber player. I mean, he was made a couple All Star teams, and KG obviously eventually went on to become a pantheon all time great kind of guy. But for a while there, we really couldn't really do much either. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, KG is certainly wired much differently than Joel Embiid is. And, and Minnesota gave up on that pairing quicker than the Sixers gave up, are going to give up looking like they're going to give up on this pairing because they just gave both of those guys long-term contracts mm-hmm. to be there for the foreseeable future. KG had a different sort of pairing that I think more people would recognize him for because they were also very young at that time, yeah. right? KG and Marbury. He got, he got Sam Cassell and he got Spreewell, and that's when he had his best chance at winning mm-hmm. a championship. Unfortunately, he ran into a, one of the greatest duos of all time in terms of Kobe, Kobe and Shaq. Shaq yeah. But I can't think of another duo in the NBA where you're talking about two all-stars on the same team that just couldn't figure it out enough to maximize their potential. I'm, I, I know there's duos out there that played really well and never won a championship. Carl Malone, John Stockton, but they maximized their, they went back to back finals. It took them a while to get there, but even in the process, you always felt like they had a chance to get there. It feels like there is a ceiling on this team and the ceiling isn't 
the finals this year. And it's self-inflicted. Yeah. That, that to what, me, I what, yeah. is the worst part. It's not like this is a team that's like, this isn't like, hey, every year we're running into Michael Jordan in the finals. Mm-hmm. Or like, hey, we can't beat Shaq and Kobe and mm-hmm. we lose them. Like, this isn't, this isn't like early 2000s Kings or even like some of those Bulls teams with Derrick Rose that could never get past LeBron. Like, this is a team that's shooting themselves in the foot because their own two best players can't get better and aren't getting better and apparently refuse to put in the work <laughs> to do it. And and the frustrating part, I think, for everybody, because they're my finals pick. I, I do remember that. I remember last week I said that I don't remember what I picked, <laughs> but they are my finals pick. And the frustrating part about that is when you talk about the Malone Stockton, because they're the closest thing that were at you know, a high-level duo, one of them wins an MVP, and they never win a championship, but they fit together. The team around them was never really that good when uh, until they got to the finals, until they were able to make, able to make those finals runs. Byron, uh, Byron Russell came along. Jeff Warnersick sort of came into his own. Austin Carr, yada, yada, yada. This Sixer team around it on paper, around Embiid and Simmons, they're really – Al Horford is no joke. Tobias Harris is no joke. Josh Richardson is no joke. Like, they have players around them – they should be better than what they the, are. Matisse Thibel is like already one of the five best defensive players in the whole league. The yeah. guy's not even a halfway through his rookie year. Yeah. So it's it, it is uh let's stop they're talking. They're the most the frustrating team in the NBA. <laughs> let's stop talking. I look Christmas is a time for joy and giving. They're the most frustrating smiling. team in the NBA. They they really are. I'm I'm trying to rack my head right now on the spot to think about another team that gets you this hot because they just don't live it to the expectation. They're the most frustrating team in the NBA. I'm spent. All right, yeah, yeah. All right, move to number nine. Uh, a, t- a team <laughs> that's not as frustrating, uh, but they what? have a player that is extremely frustrating. The Dallas Mavericks coming at number nine, and they were on the verge of being in the top ten uh, of these power rankings, but they dropped to nine after a huge, huge choke job, losing a thirty-point lead at one point. Lost by lost a 23-point lead heading into the fourth quarter because they didn't know how to handle a press. Rick Pitino is sitting somewhere right now saying, why didn't NBA teams do that when I was coaching in Boston? I'd probably win a championship. Yeah, you talk about frustration and disappointment. It doesn't get much more disappointing than let, like the biggest blown lead in the last 10 years in the NBA. Like This is a team that, that like I don't even know. How do, you, how do you read this team? This team goes to Milwaukee without their MVP. They, they win. They end the Bucks' big-time win streak. And they go to Toronto and play an injury-riddled ra- Raptors team who has – I mean, they, no one's playing. I, it, they, they called us here at NBA.com and asked us if we would suit up for the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> See, you know what I mean? And I, you know, I, I needed to stretch out the shoulder a little bit, else I would, I would have been there for them. But, you know, they, they go and, and blow – not not only – like you thought that they were handling business, and they just absolutely blew it. Just like you said, they couldn't handle a press. And, like, how do you read this team? I understand that their best player is, is not playing, but – that's not even an excuse when you beat the best team in the league without them and you have a 30-point lead. Can I, can I say that I'm not worried about that game at all? Well, I want to get to you in a second because you, I you're, think it's you, a complete you, fluke. you're a contender guy. I am. But I, I found it funny watching that game because there was a lot of people that jumped on that bandwagon halfway through the <laughs> third quarter saying, wow, look at this Maverick team. They are absolutely pounding the Raptors. And about 20 minutes later, it was, well, same old Dallas. <laughs> this team can't get it done. So in real time to watch that happen on Twitter, that's why I love Twitter sometimes watching mm-hmm. these NBA games. We needed this back in the days of, of, of all. The, it, when John Starks went 0 for 20-something in the finals, we needed Twitter. 
We need to Twitter in those moments. Over 20 something? <laughs> I mean, he was. Don't, come on, don't do that. But he was, he was awful in that game seven. <laughs> he was awful. Was. He was awful. I mean, those moments that come up when Nick Anderson stands at the line and clanks free throws. Okay. Well, we, we're, <laughs> we're, awful compar- in those moments. we're comparing the Dallas Mavericks without their best player. I'm just saying. Blowing a fourth quarter lead in moment. December to Starks and okay, Nick talk Anderson. Okay, talk now. me off that ledge. That was a choke job. You yeah. have to admit. Oh, yeah. It, 100%. I, I said uh, disappointing. Chris Stapps Porzingis was absolutely, he sh- he did not want anything to do with the spotlight. I mean, the, the spotlight could have been as wide as a flashlight on your iPhone, and he would have shied away from it. It was, in, it was, I felt bad for him because he didn't want anything to do with it. Took two shots in the last five minutes. The one shot that he did take was a heave from half court. I want to give him credit, though, because he stepped to the line and hit two big free throws late in the game and gave Dallas the last lead that they had in the game. So that's clutch. But for the other five minutes, I don't know where he was. And with Luka out, he can't just be a bystander watching Jalen Brunson be the closer for the team. No, it's it's a bad look for KP. So why, I, are, they con- it, why are they contenders? Because I, I think that we've seen enough from them up to this point to buy into them. Like, they... They went into Milwaukee and beat the Bucks on an 18-game win streak without right. Luka. They've beaten the Lakers. They've beaten the Rockets. They should have beaten the Lakers twice. They, they, they have already built a resume of good wins. Uh, they're deep. They're well-coached. And, yeah, would you want Porzingis to, to be a little bit more aggressive than, than he was the other night? Sure. But, right. I, but I think until that becomes a pattern, and I think right now it's not a pattern. Like, right now... That was a horrendous no-show uh, by Kristaps Late. He's had a couple of dicey moments. Most of them, however, have been with Luca there. They're still figuring their way out. If this was like the 10th time in a row that we've seen it or like we, we keep like Philly, we keep having the same conversation every other week about Philly. Right. If we're having the same conversation every other week about Dallas and Porzingis, you know, a month, two months from now, then I'll be willing to to say maybe there's a little bit of smoke where there's fire. So you're not jumping off the ship. Fire where there's smoke, wherever, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Smoke, uh, <laughs> smoke no, where there's I fire. throw around the C word, and I mean it. I, I legitimately think that Dallas is a contender. I think they're very good. Are you out? I, I'm, I was never fully in. Okay. Uh, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I can understand that, you know, it's this guy, again, he took some time away from the game, rehabbing from an injury, and he and uh, Luca are still getting used to playing with one another. So I guess I don't think I could be swayed to believe they can contend this year, but uh, they, they could definitely be better than I'm giving them credit for being. They're better than I thought they would be. I'm still not ready to call them a contenders because of games like that. I think Porzingis – mentally isn't there where he needs to be in terms of him being the man once again. I think he's still slowly getting back there, but he's far more ahead defensively in terms of getting back to where he used to be than he is offensively. He was, he's been incredible defensively the last four or five games, especially protecting the rim. Tell you what, four games without Luca this year, 22 and a half points, yeah, he's 14 nice. boards, and three blocks a game. That's not bad. The three games leading up to that, he was terrific. And this is the longest stretch he's had uh, in his career in terms of uh, straight double doubles. I think he's four yeah. straight double doubles. The three games prior to yesterday's, uh, or by the time we're recording this, the Raptor loss, he had 20 and 10 in three straight games. He's never done that in his career. He's been big time, but when he was called upon against the Raptors, you have to respond in that one. Uh, a guy who's responding slowly, slowly over the last couple of weeks 
is Nikola Jokic. He leads the Denver Nuggets. They are eighth in the power rankings. As the time at the time of recording this, they are twenty and eight. They went on a three zero uh, run this uh, this week, beating Orlando, Minnesota, and the Lakers without LeBron. They play on Christmas Day. They have Phoenix, Memphis, and Sacramento this week. Um, what's your Christmas gift for the Denver Nuggets? I. So it, it was for Jokic to turn into playoff Jokic because mm-hmm. he, he was 25-13 and, and 8 in last year's playoffs. Uh, I mean, to, to average that over a month is insane. Uh, you, you know who this Denver team, and, and this, might, this might be disrespectful to who I'm about to compare them to, they're kind of reminding me, a little, like they're, at the time of the, they're on pace to win 55 games. Yep. And we've been talking about how disappointing Denver's been. It's kind of reminding me a little bit about how sometimes, like, the Spurs, when Duncan wasn't really Duncan, but the Spurs would still go and win 50 games in their sleep, and nobody would ever talk about them as a legitimate title threat. Right. And then April and May would come around and be like, oh, my God. Like, (laughs) the Spurs won 56 games, and here they are up 2-1 in the second round, about to go to the Western Conference Finals. Denver feels like they're playing possum a little bit. Like mm. I, I think that this team is better than uh, than they've been g- given credit for. And I, like, if Jokic was putting up the same numbers that they had that he was in last year's playoffs, and this team still had this, the same record, we'd be talking about them in a much better light. Isn't it ultimately a good thing that they have this record? And their best player isn't even playing his best. That's a good I, thing, right? I, I, I disagree, and here's why. I expected coming off of last year's great playoff run, which was the first for many of the Denver Nuggets, their young guys anywhere, their core, uh, and they played as well as they did. Jokic made me a believer in terms of him taking the next step and being an MVP candidate this season. I thought that he was going to come into the year being that guy. And the way they lost at home, game seven, crushing defeat, I thought that they would come out this season to try and make a statement. And I don't think that they've came out and made a statement. I think that they've come out and just played basketball. And this team is too young. They haven't done anything. You want to compare them to the Spurs? I get it, but they haven't. They haven't earned their ability to be compared to the Spurs and put in that same class in terms of we'll, we'll just worry about them in the playoffs. They haven't done anything yet. They still have to go out and actually win games and prove to the, everybody else that this is a contending team. They haven't had any adversity yet. They have. They don't have any injuries, major injuries to any of their core guys. Michael Porter is the only guy that really has been in and out of the lineup. He's played 19 games. Eight of their guys have played all the top eight of their uh, rotation has played in every single game this season. I mean, their two best players, Jokic and and Jamal Murray, haven't missed a game. Murray had that trunk contusion or whatever that was called and still played the very next. They haven't faced any adversity this far so far this season, and they're under the radar. I don't like that. I needed them to come out guns blazing and really make a statement the way that the Milwaukee Bucks are, have done so far. Do you know how many teams in the entire NBA have a better record against teams 500 better than Denver? How many teams would you guess? Three. Only two. Okay. The that, Clippers the Bucks, and Bucks. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, the Lakers. The Lakers. The fell, they're they're about yesterday. the same as the Lakers, but percentage wise, Denver has been better. Right. But I mean, that's. I was just getting ready in, in my head to say I, I don't really have any signature wins, but it's not like it's not like it's the Toronto discussion no, where not they at just all. beat up on bad teams and then go and uh, you know get the 
the floor mopped, whatever right. they're if they're facing good teams. They've been pretty good against the better teams. But I want them to. I want them to come out. I, I felt like this season that they had a legit chance of getting that number one seed. It doesn't feel like they're playing for that number one seed. It they're, feels they're like they're closer just, than anyone else. They are. They're right? second places. We're recording this on on one. But it does. Do you feel like this team is going to threaten the Lakers, or that they want to threaten the Lakers? It doesn't feel like when I watch Denver play, like they are a team that says we have to have home field home court advantage in the playoffs throughout, and the champion road to the championship has to come through Denver. It doesn't feel like they're playing like that. Milwaukee, you watch them, it feels like they're playing like that. It, L.A., the Lakers I'm talking about, it feels like they're playing like that. Denver feels like they're playing like the Clippers. Like, we'll just get a top four seed and just show up in the playoffs because we know what we're going to do in the playoffs. And they haven't been uh, good enough, consistent enough over the years for me to say, given the benefit of doubt when it comes to that. Yeah, it's, it's something about Denver. I think a lot of it has to do with the path they've taken the past two years. You, you think about the year before last, they had essentially a game seven to close the season. The winner gets into the playoffs. They lost that, come back a year later. I think last year was when they really had that uh, sense of urgency on their mind to get where they got in, in the Western Conference, and they really had that we're the team to beat mentality and ended up losing in game seven. I think that now as – I don't want to say they're going through the motions, but I just think that they've kind of realized how long the season is before they get to that point that, you know, they're just – I think they're kind of fast forwarding to, to to April and May while handling their business in the meantime. Like you said, like they're second in the Western Conference. They aren't really getting very many headlines. I think that speaks more to them, their roster, and how they play, not necessarily the fact that they just don't really have a sense of urgency. Uh, I do think that once they get back to the playoffs, having had those shortcomings in the past two years, I think we're going to see them flip that switch. Is it too early for a team like that, whose core is of a 24-year-old Jokic and a 22, 23-year-old Murray to be a, a, a team that they haven't that, done that, anything in the playoffs? They won one series. That, well, yeah, and I think they just—I think that it's just the 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 grind of the season has taken. Because you talk about the, the adversity, they dealt with a lot of injuries last year. So I think that again, they maybe it was a product of them pressing so hard, and they they think that maybe they they're better off having that sense of urgency in, in March and April. Maybe we see them. I mean, they've won six straight now, and, and you look at the games they have coming up, they could very well have a nine, ten game winning streak going into the new year. But maybe it's the team that rings off 10 to 12 straight after All-Star All-Star break, and they really have that momentum going to the playoffs, and we're speaking a different different song. Like, we, we've seen the Lakers look, maybe not at their best. It's too soon to say that we've seen the Lakers at their best. But we've we've seen the Lakers, and they've looked amazing at times, mm-hmm. right? And, then, and the Clippers have looked amazing at times, and Houston's looked amazing at times. Mavericks. The Mavericks, right? Like, and it's Denver that's second in the West, and we have yet to see the best of them. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised at all if a month from now we look up in the standings, we're like, oh my God, Denver's elite is in first place in the West. Yeah. But also, they're also, we talk about Miami being a team that maybe could make a move. Denver is the one really good team in the West that has a war chest. If they really want to go for it and they really feel like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's push the chips in. Like this is a team that might not look the same, uh, you know. Come come Feb- middle yeah. of February. We started off with the Christmas thing, and that was in my mind to say that I think their Christmas present from me is to make a move. I think they have to make a move. I think at this point where they are right now, no one is really thinking about them in terms of being a contender in the Western Conference. More people talk about the Dallas Mavericks than the Denver Nuggets in terms of being a contender 
And Dallas is in, you know, in the middle of fourth or fifth in the Western Conference right now. I think Denver needs to make a move and they need to package because they have a lot of really good players. They need to package those really good players up and get a great, a, a, a great player. Another guy that's going to go out and can change the momentum of a playoff game uh, to add to Murray and Jokic. Um, you know, they're a deep team. They don't need to be as deep as they are. They have eight guys that they play nine when Torrey Craig comes back from injury, maybe even 10 when you find out what you have with Porter Jr. I think they could package some package up and try to shake things up in the Western Conference because it's never been more wide open than right now. Let's move to the Toronto Raptors. We talked about them briefly. Not much to say on this team because they're so hurt, but what would you give them uh, as a Christmas gift? I mean, you said it right there, health. Uh, they just were, were getting everybody back, and then they seem to lose everybody again. And, and it's not just, you know, the eighth or ninth man. Norman Powell goes down when he was playing some of the best basketball of his career. Pascal Siakam in the middle of uh, another breakout season, he goes down. Marcus Gasol had been the defensive anchor all year and playing great defense and locking big men up, and he was starting to find his legs on the offensive end, and then he goes down. So these these three guys are, are guys that they'll, they'll be without for the foreseeable future, and, and they're pretty key uh, into what they do as a team. So as soon as they can get back healthy, I think that that's the first key for them. So hopefully they have the gift of health this Christmas. I'm a big fan of the movie of the Rocky series, mm-hmm. and this Raptors uh, team reminds me of – the battered, bruised veteran Rocky <laughs> that was in the Rocky Balboa movie. Oof. When he that's he, five, he comes five, out of right? retirement. That's five. No, it's, it's, a, it's technically six. six. We yeah. don't talk about five. Yeah. That's fair. But then he he goes up and he fights Mason the Line Dixon, and he's a proud former champ. Clearly doesn't have to have his fastball anymore. Right. But Rocky's still Rocky. Right. Right. He's hurt. He ends up losing, but he goes down valiantly by split decision. To me, th- this entire Raptor season is like that Rocky is like Rocky Six. It's it's the former champ, the tough. They grind it out. They're not going to beat themselves. They give somebody a much harder fight than really, honestly, they should. It's starting to feel like that's just how this season's going to be for them. And look, they're a team that they're they're not going to win the East. They're not going to reach not. the NBA Finals. But if they go up against the Milwaukee. Uh, or Boston or Philly, like they're gonna, they're gonna make them. They're gonna make anyone else punch. They're gonna make someone knock them out. They're not gonna roll over and take it. And I think just like we saw in that comeback against the Mavericks, like this is a proud team that always thinks it's in any game, no matter who they're playing, no matter the circumstances. Kyle Lowry just named Player of the Week, stepping yes. up big. Um, this is a proud team. Uh, so I, I, I'm with you. I think that health, Gill is. Is paramount and 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 a good Christmas gift for them, but man, they got the heart of a champion. They certainly do. Uh, by the way, Mason the Lion Dixon was played by the great Antonio Tarver, former lightweight champion of the world. Uh, I think that the conversation around Nick Nurse should start moving towards Coach of the Year. Um, no one's probably lost more key guys than Nick Nurse and stayed afloat the way he has, and he's done it unconventional. He's done it the Nick Nurse style. No one's going to copycat him. It's such a copycat league in all leagues across sports. No one is going to try a full court press. Like, no. no one's even thinking about that. No one's thinking about diamond defense. No one's thinking boxing one, boxing two. No one is thinking that stuff. Nick Nurse seems to come out with it, doesn't even practice it, just says throw it out and, the window and, and they win games. And think about the different ways they've won this year. Like Kyle Lowry comes out blazing the first seven games of the year. 
Then it's the Pascal Siakam show. Then we're writing articles about should Fred Van Fleet make the all-star team. Yeah. Then Norman then Norman Powell stringing together three straight 20-point games. I, and then Lowry's back again. Like, this team just finds different ways to win. It's Nick Nurse, man. He's pulling all the right strings. And he's empowering the right people as well. That, and I think a big thing, you talked about the unorthodox ways. You, a lot of times you hear guys or see guys at the highest level don't want to try things. That says a lot about him and how he gets through to his players that they buy into doing things that not necessarily any other NBA coach would do. A lot of guys I think would be like, oh, man, the boxing one, that's nonsense, a full court, full court press, I'm not really buying into that. But the fact that these guys buy into it and the, and the results speak for themselves, mm-hmm. they'll continue to buy into what he's, what he's doing. Yeah, trust is a big factor there. Trust is something maybe we can gift the next team. The Houston Rockets at six, um, they're slowly starting to trust that James Harden doesn't have to take as many shots every night uh, and, you know, Russell Westbrook's playing a lot better. P.J. Tucker's playing better. Austin Rivers, I think I got – we got to give him a shut-up because quietly he's fit into Houston, and I don't think that they – I don't think that they win as many games without Austin Rivers coming off the bench and doing what he does. I mean, he's not a guy that – he's a glue guy. That's what he is. He's just a flat-out glue guy, but he's only a good glue guy in this system – with Mike D'Antoni and the Houston Rockets. I think he found the perfect landing spot for his NBA career. Yeah, and I think when, when he resigned there uh, this past summer, I, he could have gotten more money elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I chose to stay stay because I think he's, he'd be the first person to probably agree with you, Carl. And I think, I think Austin Rivers uh, knows that he fits in perfectly playing uh, here in, in this role in Houston alongside James Harden. No, I agree completely. Uh, you you kind of look at, I think it's something that he said that, you know, he, he decided to make that choices for where he is in his career and, and what he's able to do with that team. And you kind of look at the pieces on that Rockets roster and, and the way that they kind of fit around the star-studded backcourt. You, you talk about the the Rivers and the, and the Daniel Houses and, and the Ben McLemores, and, and they've dealt with injuries as well. They're still waiting on Eric Gordon to come back, and they're also waiting on Gerald Green to make his season debut. Yeah, Eric Gordon's not scaring anybody anymore. But, you know, but I, but I, th- I do think, I, you know, you, you might be right, out, but, yeah. I, but I do think that he does add a little bit of dynamic. I think teams will be worried about him making open shots just as much as they have to worry about Daniel House or they have to worry about uh, Ben McLemore doing the same thing. So I think that, that this Rockets team might have another level that they can tap into if they can get the most out of those guys who are, in theory, more skilled or more talented than the guys that are playing right now. Uh, I think that that, that, that kind of raises their ceiling a little bit. They have the fifth easiest schedule the rest of the way um, uh, from Christmas Day on, and they've played the Clippers a bunch of times. They have to play the Lakers three more times, and then the Bucks once, and that's it. Like they, They're cruising from there. Uh, so the Houston Rockets, that's well, another Russell team. Westbrook's starting to secretly he's playing play well. a little bit better. He's, playing, he's, he's, he's cutting back on those threes, and he's doing what he does, which is yeah. get to the basket. Boston Celtics come in at five to start the top five. Uh, Jason Tatum has played really, really well. I think he should be a lock for the All-Star team. Kemba Walker in the backcourt slowly uh, after that slow start to the season. He's starting to figure out and pick his spots. Boston's gelling. They're gelling, and I think after Christmas Day, even though they're you know they're playing a very shorthanded Raptors team, no one's really seen Boston on the national stage other than the one time when Kemba was coming back, uh, playing the the uh, the Charlotte Hornets here in uh, in Charlotte. Um, I think with the world watching on Christmas Day, a lot more people will start recognizing how good the Celtics are. And Gordon Hayward, when he gets back, they might be on a roll. They're a big man away though. I think as long as they don't play Philly, they'll be fine in the playoffs. Yeah, you think that they could beat the Bucks? I think that they have a better chance against the Bucks than they do Philly. 
They played Philly twice, and they've gotten dump trucked both times. Right, Joel you know, Embiid. They have no ask for Embiid. Joel Embiid's monster, you know, the the thirty eight thirteen seven game came against Boston. Right, uh, they just. I, that's the one team Boston doesn't want. As long as they don't play Philly, they're gonna be they're gonna be. Tough. If they get a big man, and let's throw out a name, Tristan Thompson, or Aaron Baines, else? bring Aaron him back, Baines. baby, <laughs> bring back Aaron Baines. Are they chances? Are their chances against Philly better than what they are now? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, and I think that they're a team that's gonna be a better. I think they're gonna be a better playoff team than they are regular season. They're a really good regular season team. Really, they are a really good regular season team. I just think that you know, in the playoffs, when when everyone takes away your first, second, third, fourth option. Boston's third and fourth options are all stars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they they're not going to have four all stars, but they have four all star caliber players mm-hmm. and a fifth in Marcus Smart, who like he might never make an all star team, but Marcus Smart could win Defensive Player of the Year. It could be a multiple all defense for. There's not a team in the league that wouldn't love to have Marcus Smart. So I mean, they they this is a, a very talented team that I think you know one through five probably goes up uh, talent wise with anyone. No, yeah, and I'm, I'm like I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but Marcus Smart is another guy who's missed the last six games. Gordon Hayward's been out for a while. Like this, is a team again has another level they can tap into, which is as far as getting the most out of the guys. And I think that it's a, a roster now that's extremely talented, but they also play really well off one another. You know, you would you would look at all, all the talent they have on the wing, and you would think that they might not be able to find their spots. And I know part of it has to do with the injury, but you talk about how well Jalen Brown is also playing alongside Jason Tatum. Um, and when, when they get to the postseason, these are all guys who have been there before. It's almost kind of crazy you think Kimba might have some of the least playoff experience of, of those guys who are, who are going to be out there uh, which, which is crazy, <laughs> crazy which yeah. is crazy to think about um but but you know once they get to that once they get to that I think that that playoff experience means a lot and I think that those guys aren't afraid of the moment those guys have been you know the the chief contributors on teams you look back at that, that conference finals run they made a couple years back I think that those experiences will really start to pay off this year as far as how they adjust in the postseason I can't wait to hear the stories of Kemba Walker heading over to Daniel Tice's locker room asking him what it's like to play in the playoffs <laughs> hey one one thing real quick before we move on Boston Celtics the number one clutch time on offense in the entire wow. league. And uh, by the way, Jason that Tatum. That speaks volumes about you want guys that can go get buckets. Jason Tatum playing really nice defensively. We all we all look at uh, what Marcus Smart has done defensively, and maybe he's in the conversation of defensive player of the year. Jason Tatum's actually been better in terms of the on off stats all right. defensively. Uh, Miami Heat, fourth in the power rankings. This is a team that everyone's surprised. No long, you can no longer say that you're surprised about the Miami Heat, right? Everyone knows they're a good team. Right. So what are you giving for Christmas? Man. I, what do you got? Well, we, what we have here is an all-star invitation for Bam. Let's and, go. And, and I mean, same thing. you know, you know what? Like, I, I think I think it's time to give him give him his due. This guy is um, when he came to the league, and you kind of look at his measurables and his size, and, and you know, he's he's really really strong player. And you didn't know was he going to be a five? Was he going to be a four? Where's he really going to kind of? find his niche in the league and I think he's definitely found it and he's doing things that I didn't know he was going to do you know he's, he's passing the ball well you see his assist numbers are, are, are very solid he won player of the week recently um, he's got a couple triple doubles to his name this year uh, and this is year three for him I believe like you wow. know this, this is a guy who, who I think is um, really kind of taking a huge leap this year and credit goes to uh, Jimmy Butler and those guys on that team who we plays well off of but I think that that Bam has really established himself as, as a really good player I know Scott Rafferty shout out to him who's a guy who's been high on Bam for a while I think I guess I guess he saw the potential I didn't really see how it would pan out but now that, it, that it's, it's starting to pan out for him I think he's he's a really 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 solid player and a key, a key to that team I think yeah I, I've I've mentioned this before. People look back sometimes at the 2017 draft, 
and they see how could Donovan Mitchell possibly have gotten 13th. And then you look at the teams that passed on him, Detroit and Charlotte, right? And uh, in Sacramento, he looked really good at. But, you know, Bam Adebayo went one pick after Donovan mm-hmm. Mitchell. All those teams that passed on, on Mitchell, they passed on Bam, too. And Bam actually might make the All-Star team before Mitchell does wow. if if Mitchell doesn't this Imagine season. Um, I, I think that there's a, you know, he's coming on really strong. And I think that, you know, there's an argument to be made that it's Bam Adebayo and not Donovan Mitchell. That's the best player in this draft class. Oof. I like that. I want to give a shout out to Jimmy Butler because I think he should get a little bit more buzz in terms of MVP. I know we had the MVP letter a week ago uh, on NBA.com. I don't know that Jimmy Butler was in the top five. He should be. Um, you know, coming the numbers. So who's he aren't knocking there. out then? Who's he knocking off? Because you bring someone in, you got to kick someone out. Give me the top five off. Uh, it's so it's LeBron, Giannis, Luca, Harden, Harden. And I think we had Siakam in there. Well, then he's knocking off Siakam. He's got to knock off Siakam. But in terms of the two times or the one time that Siakam had the opportunity to solidify himself in the top five, Jimmy Butler stole the show and won that game on the road, breaking the Raptors' undefeated streak at home. He showed up in big moments. Every time you expect Jimmy Butler to show up in the clutch, he's done that this year. And I think we got to give him credit because he's taken a step back and allowed the young guys to get comfortable being themselves, and he's just leading them. And that's what he should have did in Minnesota. That's probably what he should have done in Philly. Or he kind of learned how to do that a little bit in Philly. They just didn't follow. Miami is a team that's following, and they have him uh, rolling right now. Uh, third, the Clippers. Clippers are just doing what they do in the regular season, what we expected. They're kind of just sleepwalking through it. What do you expect for them? Um, what do you, would you give them? I'm uh, gonna gi- I would like to give uh, – I would just like to give them – a cryogenic chamber to just <laughs> go to sleep, put them on ice, call me in mid-April. I mean, they, they're not even they're not even acting like the regular season matters anyway. Well, another they had another blown uh, double-digit lead against Oklahoma City. Right. Uh, they have a habit of just sort of sleepwalking through a lot of these games. Now, for the big ones, they're getting up for. That was going to say right? the Christmas Day game we're recording before one. that is a huge one. Do you expect them to get all the way up for it, or do they have they made their statement on opening night and now they're just going to play? No, basketball? they're they're going to be all the way up for it. Okay. I think that there there are probably four or five games on the schedule throughout the whole season that they'll get up for. Now was the Bucks I game one that, of the games they no, got to get I, up for? I, well, I was just about to contradict myself. <laughs> they fell down by forty. Yeah, in yeah that. that was bad. I hope they didn't get up for that one because, <laughs> hey, goodness, they, yeah, if they, they got up for that one, yeah. this team they trade everyone. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's one where you hear the alarm, you hit snooze, and you go back to bed. Yeah, on that yeah. a couple times. Uh, what would you give them, Gil? Uh, you know, I, I think that um, the, this Clippers team, I'm going to just give them. A little more spaced out games. Sometimes, you know, the low management. With, with, let's let's get, get more <laughs> rest. Easier schedule. You know, no, just space it out. Week? Space, yeah, space it out a little more. I, you know, the low management. I, I, you know, it's it's fine. I don't want to go. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about the, like the the loss in OKC was a product of, of Kawhi sat out. It was the second night of a back to back. I know we won't. I mean, you don't play back to backs in the playoffs. So I guess we'll we'll see. You know, then what's really happening. But a lot of games they lost to Chicago because Kawhi couldn't play because of that. And I understand that he's clearly still dealing with an injury. We saw him limping throughout the playoffs. He had an offseason of rest, and he's still playing through something or whatever the case may be. I, I, I guess it's just something where I would, you know, let's, let's see I him see play. a big smirk on Carlin's face right now. <laughs> Is Kawhi's load management knocking him down the peg in terms of where he'll be on the all-time list? Because he's going to be great in the playoffs, but he's going to play so few regular season games that 
maybe it makes him hit the glass ceiling when you're talking about him in the all-time greats. I'm sure I'm sure somebody can find a way to put an asterisk in it, but I, I think that the way that we've trended with a lot of the conversations that we have, it's like rings trump everything, and you know it's about the postseason. What are you doing in April and May and June? And I personally won't knock him for it again. Like I said, I, I realize that he's obviously dealing with a very legitimate issue and still performing at an extremely high level through that, whatever the case may be, and maybe it's something that will never improve in his career or maybe it'll have to improve it and extend it all season. But the fact that last year he put forth one of the best postseasons that we've ever seen and, and he you look at the the just the resume he has at this point, the two defensive player of the years, two finals VPs, two championships before the age of, of thirty, I mean he's gotta go up there. It's just it's just be kinda interesting looking at a guy who has all of this and a guy that we mentioned as being one of the best of however wherever you wherever he lands when he retires probably won't have an MVP regular season to be beat to his name just because of the amount of time that he misses. It'll be an interesting like way of looking at things, but I, I won't knock him down that far with that. I'm on the side that it knocks him down a little bit. I need I need my all-time greats to have an uh, at least one MVP. Well, I think it kind of depends. League like MVP, if he's if he goes on to win a third title and a third finals MVP and that's something that no one has ever done with him. Right. Like if he if he starts if he's not done yet you know, winning titles, racking up finals MVPs. There's just, it's apples and oranges. There's not going to be anyone to compare him to because no one's ever done it. To me, he kind of reminds me of like the like the starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. Baseball's that like the only thing you can never go to. wins twenty games, never wins a Cy Young. But then at the, like Madison Bumgarner, there's no pitcher in the league you'd rather have in your rotation mm-hmm. come October than Madison Bumgarner. At now, he's not Clayton Kershaw, right? He's not gonna ever lead the league in wins or have the lowest ERA or whip, but he's the guy that you want on the mound with the ball in their hand. Kind of the same thing with Kawhi Leonard. I the comparison I was gonna make was he's gonna end up being like the the NBA version of Joe Montana. I was gonna say Eli Manning. Uh, but actually. then Joe Montana oh, wants you. Oh, oh don't well, do that. Oh come <laughs> on. Well, well, yeah, that's I was gonna, I, that's why Kawhi. I didn't say it. Because I Kawhi would have to fall off completely towards the back end of his career, which is possible with the knee issues that he's having. But I don't want to put that on him. I, I think Joe Montana is probably the better yeah. the better resume. I mean Eli did Eli did beat, you know, two juggernauts, as Kawhi's done, but yeah. let's not let's not sit here and, and call no, Kawhi I won't call, Well at this point in his career, I mean Don't do that to Kawhi. Well at Eli's peak, Eli was a, when you got Eli into playoffs, Stop. he he flipped the switch. Not, no, Regular he did season it twice. He, and that's good enough. That's better than Stop. a lot of the quarterbacks that have ever, that ever played. I mean, he does have two championships. He does have. Does. He's better than his brother in terms. They don't of the, win a single playoff game outside of those two years. This is not the Eli Manning gave me a sense of podcast on, on the road. Kawhi, Kawhi hitting that big that big shot That's in the fine. semifinals. Sure, was Eli going to minus one hundred degrees in Lambeau <laughs> and pulling out a win? Fine, just throwing it to Plaxico Burst the entire time. Not a problem. You got to give him respect. I'm not gonna. I'm not NFL gonna. NFL sound I'm not system gonna is somewhere this. on the dial. You could find it there. All right, number two on the power rankings. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> the L.A. Lakers uh, land at number two. They went 0 for three, but somehow managed to stay at number two on the power rankings this week. Uh, they got the Christmas Day game against the Clippers. Uh, they got Portland Dallas. Who cares about Portland Dallas? This is the rematch. This is the Christmas Day rematch that everybody had been waiting for. LeBron sat out the last game, which they lost uh, for this one, and uh, I expect him to play at a playoff 
level. When's the last time we saw LeBron play playoff LeBron basketball in the regular season? Was that the Warriors? Well, we've kind of seen it this year, right? But again, for one game where he's, he, he locked in and said, you know what? We're not losing this game. Is that Warriors-Cavs maybe three Christmases ago? No, because, I mean, even that, like Kyrie was the one that hit the, hit the game winner. He was. Uh, in that game. You'd probably have to go back to like some of the Miami Miami games. Yeah, yeah. Probably. It's been a while since we've seen like where we've expected LeBron to be like. This is going to be a big. Well, game for I, I think that we're it, LeBron's in a position now this season where coming off of of missing the playoffs last year, he's mm-hmm. in full. You know, both both birds are up. I'm ready yeah. to prove that this is still my league. And, you know, he had no reason to ever approach a regular season like that during his, you know, streak of eight straight finals trips. Yeah. So I just think we're getting a different version of LeBron like than we've it. ever got. However, I, I kind of think that this is a big game for LeBron. Like, he... Legacy-wise? No. This is, <laughs> I was going to no, say. I mean, like, but this season, like, if LeBron's going to win the MVP, he's going to start winning these games. Like, he mm. lost against Giannis. He's lost against Luka Doncic. It is Dodge, a legacy talk. Lost, Lost LeBron against Kawhi Leonard. Can't win the big one. Can't win the big one. <laughs> can't, win the big one. <laughs> can't win that December 25th game that no one will ever, will ever happen. <laughs> no clutch gene. <laughs> I miss those. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I think it's a big game for LeBron. Right. I, I think so too. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I, I agree that it is a big game for him. I think that I think that he hears the chatter. I think there's a lot of chatter around the, surrounding, you know, oh, well, you know, he's lost to these guys, like you mentioned, and it's a chance where, you know, everybody's giving Kawhi the, the title of being the best player in the league or, or what have you, and here it is. You know, they, they're both teams are likely to be at full strength. I know LeBron's playing through a little bit of an injury. AD is coming back from, from an ankle injury as well, but, you know, I think all those excuses go out the door, and I think it's a big game for them just to kind of establish. Do you, do you guys see any – is there any, like, potential warning sign here? Like, I, And I mean that in the way that my, my biggest doubt about – I'll be the first to admit mm-hmm. that I was wrong about the Lakers. I did not think that this team would be – as good as they the, are. as good as they are, yeah. but I but I also that that comes with the caveat that well th- that they've been a lot better outside of LeBron and AD than I expected them yeah. to. Yes. But ultimately, it still comes down to those guys being healthy. They've lost three straight. If they lose on Christmas, that'll be four. You mentioned AD's. He isn't like missed time, but he's sort of there's there's always always reports about how he left the game and went to the locker room mm-hmm. or went to the trainer after practice or he's questionable then. Yeah, he's LeBron's, tough to get out. LeBron's missed a couple games now. Like, I don't know. We could be. May, are we one step into a ten-step process here, where we kind of see the Lakers fall back down to earth a little bit because they need these two guys so heavily? I think. Go ahead. Again. No, that that's that was really honestly my biggest concern about them, and it was kind of first brought into my, brought to my attention on opening night. You talk about, you know. AD and, and LeBron, I mean, LeBron had an okay, I mean, a good game by his standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, AD had a good game, but it took Danny Green going nuclear from from beyond the arc for them to kind of just hang in there. And it seemed like every time the Clippers, like, got a, got a big cushion, the Lakers had to, like, scratch and claw back, and then they just didn't have a, a counter to get over the hump. And I think that's my biggest concern with this Lakers team. This year I know Kyle Kuzma was out that game, but, you know, they can't, you know, there are times where you see players or teams when their best player has an off night. The Lakers can't afford that. They need to be hitting on all cylinders. And and can they do it for 16 games, you know, from April to June? I don't know. But when you talk about these key games, you know, LeBron, AD, 
even Kyle Kuzma really can't afford to have an off night because they just don't have enough, it seems like. Or, or Danny Green has to go off and, and hit six to eight threes, which you can't just count on him doing that. So that's a big concern with the Lakers. Um, I, I'm, I'm expecting – I expected the Lakers to approach the regular season like the Clippers have in terms of load management and everything else. I still pick them to make the finals, uh, but I didn't expect them to be in the conversation for the number one seed in the Western Conference. That's why I had Denver getting there because I thought Denver would play all their guys, not load manage anything else. So I agree with you. I think we're going to see them slide back down. Um, and, and back on the topic of LeBron, big game for him. I think this is a big game for everybody because LeBron's been playing really well and, and kind of reminded everybody how good he truly is. But as you said, he hasn't done it against some of the bright young stars in the league. Giannis got the better of him. Luka's went pound for pound, punch for punch with him. Kawhi got the better of him on the first game. Hasn't he's played Harden yet either. He hasn't played Harden, but he's been playing. He's been playing great against the you know Indiana Pacers of the world. But now he's going up against Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And Kawhi is standing at the top of the mountain. Sounds like you're doubting if LeBron uh, I, I has, might, has it him, huh? I'm not doubting him. I, I, I am saying that his best isn't just far and away better than everybody else's anymore. I think everybody, he, he's going to throw a, a haymaker, but he better be ready to take one back because the, the, the field is ready to punch back. And that it hasn't been that way for the last 10 years. It's been a while. So yeah, he, he's getting punched back, and I think the Clippers are going to punch back really hard on Christmas. Yeah, it's going to be. I, I expect the Lakers to win that game, but it's going to be a struggle. And Anthony Davis is going to have to have his best game of the season. All right, Milwaukee Bucks, number one in the power rankings. We finally got here. Uh, the Christmas gift on NBA.com is that Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe are the second and third stars that the Bucks need to Why don't you just talk about Eric Bledsoe the for playoff. a couple I minutes? Mean, I mean, I mean, there's nothing really to say. He's out of the lineup, and look how the Bucks are playing right now. <laughs> that's all you. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know about Eric Bledsoe. I am impressed with the way that the Milwaukee Bucks are playing. I uh, I'm impressed with the as you said, LeBron's putting up the double birds. Everybody, the Milwaukee Bucks are putting up the the proverbial bird to the entire league, saying we are not only going to dominate teams we're going to pound them into submission there this is the second year in a row they're doing this they are making us talk about them i don't think they i think if they had the exact same record and kind of scraped by teams we're dismissing them but the way that they're going out and and beating teams into submission they're forcing us to say you know what this is a team that could walk through the playoffs and win a championship and i'm impressed by that uh, i mean they've only lost four times and in those four games they were close they weren't blown out um, this is a team that's you know could win close to seventy games, and I think we have to respect that this day and age when people are load managing and everything else in the regular season. I'm a little bit bummed that they lost that game against Dallas because you know they they've come back, they've won three straight since then. You know if they take care of business against that Mavs team at home playing without Luca, which they they should have done, they'd be on a 22 game win streak mm. entering Christmas, and then I think people would not that they weren't paying attention to Milwaukee more. But you're winning 22 in a row, and then you look at the schedule that they had coming off the Christmas game. I think they played 12 straight te- 12 straight games against teams with losing records. Like, man, they could have really put a gaudy number up there. They they still might. I do you guys get the sense at all that this is just sort of like 
LeBron in Cleveland the first time over again? No. But they have, Man, they have why the not? seventh. They have the seventh easiest schedule by why the not? way. The rest of the way, I don't because Chris Middleton is on the team. Uh, I think they have a better coach in Mike Budenholzer than Mike Brown was, um, and I think Mike Brown. Or sorry, Mike Budenholzer is a is in a better situation to learn from the mistakes that he went through in the playoffs a year ago. Let's just say it, he got coached by Nick Nurse in those four straight games, um, and he just didn't have he didn't have a counter. Uh, I think that he's smart enough to now come up with a counter for for whatever defense uh, any team comes to play against Giannis. And I also think that Giannis is a different player than what he was uh, in that playoffs a year ago. Giannis has stepped into making threes and, um, you know, just not just making them, but taking them. I think that's a huge plus. He started taking them in that Raptor series, and now it's a part of his game. And the old saying was, well, watch out if Giannis gets the three. I think the, we, we don't say that anymore. Like, Giannis has the three now. The Lakers just found out the hard way. <laughs> this, is, this is who he is, and I think the rest of the team now just has to rally around that. I, I, I do think that they're a piece away, I, and, and that piece is just getting rid of Chris Mill, uh, Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> I, I think that's the piece. I mean, I, I, I see some of the parallels, but my biggest concern about them it isn't even necessarily Middleton or Bledsoe, I think. I do think that Middleton, as his second best player, is better than anybody LeBron had as his as his uh, as his sidekick. Don't do that boy. to Mo Williams. Come on, all star uh, Mo Williams. All star, come, come on, on man. Williams, uh, Bobby Gibson. Yeah, 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 yeah. All those guys. Daniel yeah. Marshall. Yeah, great, great. Uh, I Sa- Sasha, Sasha Pavlovich. Let's throw let's throw him in there. <laughs> you actually said his name right. I, I butchered it the other day. <laughs> Don't try it again. <laughs> but no, um, Anthony you know, Parker. You know, all those guys, all those guys. Shout out to all those guys, and and uh, and Shaq too. Um, but no, I. I do the think original big D's. The, the original big D's. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, I, I think that um I think I, I'm, so I'm I'm more concerned about uh, just sustained consistency from you know your Chris Mid- I mean sorry your Wesley Matthews, George Hill, Kyle Korver, and even the Lopez twins. They aren't they aren't as young as they once were. These guys are playing really well now during the regular season. It's early on. Are they gonna you know stagger their minutes? Are you gonna rest if they get enough a big enough cushion in the East? I think that might suit them well because we saw this was younger versions of Hill and Corver with LeBron and Cleveland struggling to to kind of produce you know once they made a sustained long playoff run, um, and they're a pretty big key into what. Milwaukee does for their success. They also have DiVincenzo and they also have Connaughton who are two young guys who, who get after it and, and help them out. But those guys are, are big as far as their experience and what they bring to the team. And if if something catches up to them or what have you, I think that that'll be a big thorn in their side. The last team that LeBron had in Cleveland, uh, which is in 2010, when he flamed out and decided, you know what, I'm packing my bags. I'm out of here. Mo Williams was the second leading scorer on the team, Antoine Jameson third at 33 years of age, and Shaq at 37 years of age was the only other player to score in doubled figures. I think the Milwaukee Bucks now are not only better than that Cleveland team was, but I think that they got players that aren't going to be afraid to at least take a big shot. They may not necessarily hit it, but they won't be at least afraid to take that big shot. I think there was a lot of guys that were just kind of standing around when Boston was punching Cleveland in the mouth constantly in the playoffs, saying, LeBron, do something, uh, and, and, and they couldn't really get out of their own way. I think Chris Middleton has enough cojones to take a shot. So does Brooke Lopez. They may go 0 for 12, but at least they're taking don't it. Do I don't think no one on I don't think anyone on Cleveland had those cojones to take those type of shots. Yeah, and I think like we saw, I think one of the th- one of the doubts that people can't get out of their minds are 
what happened to Giannis the last four games of that series against Toronto where Kawhi, look, he didn't single-handedly shut him down. No, it was a Toronto team. had team. amazing help defense. They had the long bodies to do it. But at the same time, like, if you go back and you watch those games, like, Kawhi's backing off five, ten feet sometimes from Giannis and, and daring him to shoot that. You can't do that against Giannis now, mm-hmm. right? So, like, I'm not sure if they if, if Kawhi had come back and it's the same exact Raptors team and they try to guard him the exact same way, I don't I don't think Toronto would beat him again. The, the way that Giannis is playing, the way he's evolved, he's just a different dude. And everyone gives everyone gives James Harden all the all this credit for the per game scoring. Do you know on a permanent basis Giannis is averaging just as much as Harden is? Yeah, and and doing it basically without a jump shot, as people would say. Right, <laughs> it's insane. I, he's been outrageous. Yeah, Giannis is uh he's he's good at basketball. Newsflash. Uh, all right, let's uh let's get out of here with the Sam Amick report because uh, because I want to hear what you guys have to say about this. So Sam Amick came out from the Athletic came out with a report saying that. Uncle Dennis uh, sort of had these demands heading into free agency with the uh, or free agency discussions with the Los Angeles Lakers that left the Lakers, quote unquote, fuming uh, some outrageous claims like a, a private plane whenever he wanted. Uh, what, what else was there? Uh, demands uh, ownership of stake. ownership stake uh, in, in the team, a, a house, uh, guaranteed off court endorsements, um, all that if Kawhi Leonard decided to play with the Lakers. I found it interesting that not only did this report come out, but thinking way back when Kawhi was going through the free agency process, there was a legit amount of really credible journalists that had him going to the Lakers and shutting the entire team down, the league down. And I'm shocked that this was going on behind closed doors and it was still being leaked that the Lakers were front runners. Any other team, I think... This gets out, and the Lakers probably it probably doesn't come out that the Lakers are in third, but the, the aggressiveness that people went out and put their necks on the line, saying the Kawhi's signed like weeks before he was actually signed, that shocks me because they would have had to hear something from credible people saying that Kawhi was going to go there, and the fact that this was happening behind closed doors and it still got out uh, that the Lakers were frontrunners that that shocks me. The other parts of that story that that were fascinating to me too were. Um you know, Uncle Uncle Dennis is bringing up, uh, asking the Lakers, well, why were they, why did Magic Johnson receive a uh, partial ownership stake 25 years ago and right. not understanding <laughs> the differences right. and, and why that he was the case. He also had a 25-year right? Yeah, we're not going to go into some of the other reasons why that was the case. But yeah. then, and, and then also the, the report that he was asking similar things of both Toronto and the Clippers as well. So, I mean, I think it's more of just a case of Uncle Dennis just sort of kind of going off the rails a little bit, right? I'm not mad at it. You're not mad at it? I'm not. I'm not. It's like AAU culture in the NBA. I mean, if you're, if you're negotiating, you want to get the best deal possible for your client. I respect it. If, he, if the Lakers had blinked and I gave him part... big baller brand. I'm saying if the Lakers had blinked and gave Kawhi part ownership, would we be killing Uncle you Dennis You got a LeVar Ball-sized grin on your face would, right now. Would we <laughs> be killing Uncle Dennis if the Lakers had said, you know what, well, we won't give you part ownership, but we'll guarantee your off-court endorsements. If all this stuff came out and the Lakers had signed Kawhi Leonard, yeah. there would be ridiculous outrage. But whose fault would that ridiculous be? Ridiculous outrage. Would you not, would you not pat... Uncle Dennis on the back for going out and getting the best for his clients and laughing at the Lakers for 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 doing something as crazy as this is. 
I mean, I, you got to ask the question. The worst be, they could say is it'd no. It'd be pretty vile, right? Like, he'd get backlash. Kawhi would get serious backlash. Why? I mean, he's already kind of getting backlash as it is, just the fact that he didn't ask for, for, for something like this. I, I don't think, understand it. I, 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 I mean, I was, again, fascinated, like you said, reading some of this stuff because I didn't even think that anybody would ask this of a team. I didn't even – I don't know what does and doesn't fall in between the CBA, like what's legal, what's illegal. And, and part of it kind of – feels like to me that they, he had never planned on, on going there. And uh, you just kind of ask people for things that you know they can't even give you. And then he's like, oh, well, that's why I won't come. And then they're like, oh, well, never mind. And then he kind of had it on his mind all along to do something elsewhere. Because, I mean, Kawhi always has struck me as a type to kind of do something his own way anyway. And it seemed like the the, the choice to go play with the Lakers seemed like the you know it made too much sense. So this is just the way it's just the way it should be. And then he ended up going and, and surprising us a little bit. I, I remember Carlin, you kind of had a had a hunch he would go and choose the Clippers because of who Kawhi is. So I, I kind of get that vibe just from everything surrounding it that it, it seemed like they were just kind of seeing how far they could push it and see seeing how far this team would be willing to to try and go around the rules to get it. That's yeah. what I felt like throughout the entire process. I, I remember saying to you guys that I think that he's playing the Lakers to wait out. For me, I didn't expect him to do this stuff behind the closed doors. I was thinking that he was playing the Lakers to make them wait out as long as they possibly could so that they could not go and replace what they would have had with him, meaning a guy like Danny Green doesn't end up there or they wouldn't be able to fill out the rest of their roster. And using that as a competitive advantage because he knew he was going to the Clippers all along and the top team to compete against the Clippers would be right there in L.A. And I, th- I thought he was playing the game. So I think Kawhi's got to be careful. You know, we... we Kawhi or I Uncle think, Dennis? I th- well, both. But I, most importantly, Kawhi. Because mm-hmm. he he's ultimately... I mean, it, his, it's, it's his reputation, right? Sure. I mean, u- ultimately, it's Kawhi Leonard. Because if, if he didn't want any of that or he wasn't okay with any of that... He shuts it down. Sure. Assuming he knew about it, yeah. which I, I would assume that he does. I, I mean, I would But, have to you know, look, we just had a conversation about legacy not too long ago, mm-hmm. and we were talking about rings culture and how if Kawhi is sitting out this game, would that, would that damage his, his reputation? But there's already a couple of odd things with how San Antonio Ended. went down. Yeah. Uh, right? Especially, especially given San Antonio's, if there's any franchise that gets the benefit of the doubt when it comes to uh, you know, culture and creating a, a strong community and locker room at San Antonio. We saw how that went out. Uh, but I, I don't blame him for leaving Toronto at all, but there was the, you know, the load management. People right. were already, that rubbed people the wrong way. And then if, you know, this report comes out, that's now three things and the last, you know, not even two years that come out, that's, it's not Kawhi playing by different rules at all. That's not what it is. Well, it's, it's, it's Uncle Dennis trying to play by different rules because it's literally illegal uh, and goes against the CBA. But these things start to add up. And if you're not careful, enough people will start to catch on to that. And, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that this, this is a little, there's a little bit more here uh, than just this story because I think it gets at something that's a little bit larger. It's the same thing like when... Kawhi, you know, he doesn't answer or he answers reporters very matter-of-factly. Hey, talk to me about and he'll literally talk you through. There's a lot of those things are quirky and they can, can become endearing, but it's also a pretty thin line when these things start to head up and, and you, this resume keeps getting bigger and bigger, all, all these odd things that are happening around Kawhi. 
I don't know. It's not a good look. Well, he's gotten away with it for two reasons. One, the, the San Antonio exit, he kind of looked like the like the, the good guy in that situation, right? He kind of looked like it was the first time the, the Spurs messed up, and he looked like he came out on the right side of it because he was legitimately injured, and we now know that. He looks great in Toronto because he won. You know, if he doesn't if he doesn't win that title, it kind of feels like he's stringing Toronto along and everything else through that free agency process. But he wants so he could get away with that. If he doesn't win with the Clippers and then leaves, I think you have a legitimate argument. But I think if he wins, he's going to continue to get away with this type of stuff. And if I'm Kawhi Leonard, I'm on his side. Why not? If you're going to be able to do these things and get away with it continually, then I, I, I'm, I'm all for it. The, the Paul George thing, when it happened, I mean, I was absolutely shocked. I wasn't shocked that he signed with the Clippers. I was shocked that Paul George, two seconds later, is all of a sudden the Clippers. And that, and, and we now know that it was Kawhi behind the scenes saying, go and get me this guy. That could have been anyone in the NBA right now. When you think about it, that could have been any player in the NBA that Kawhi Leonard said, go and get me that guy and I'll come to your team. And they found a way and made the biggest trade in NBA history in terms of draft picks to go out and get it. That is Kawhi Leonard exercising his right and his power as a player, and he's doing it in a different way than LeBron James did it when he was moving teams and getting killed for it for free agency. And the only reason why LeBron really got killed for it was because he didn't win the first year. Had he won those four years in Miami, I don't think anyone cares. No. Yeah, that's, that's, that's only, fair. So, so I will say Kawhi, Kawhi did all this leveraging all of all of what you said to try to get his client the best deal. Then he only signs for two years with the Clippers. Yeah. Well, two, two plus one. Don't do that to him. I'm just saying, he summer 2021, he can get out of there. He so can leave. Paul George. He's going to leverage it That's again. That's what I mean. Like, all this is Phoenix, holding everyone's feet over the fire. <laughs> Four <laughs> finals MVPs, four teams. And, Devin and, Booker would be nice next to Kawhi, by I the way. mean, well, it would be broken down Kawhi a little bit, right? Well. It'd still be nice. If, if he brings, an, what other superstar would Kawhi bring with him to Phoenix? Devin Booker's already there. Who's, who's he calling up? At that point, I mean, is he honest? My uncle Dennis might be starting to the point. Listen, man, hey, I'm just joking. Don't, don't. <laughs> come on, I'm just joking. Let's get out of here before I get in trouble. You said, "Come on, yourself." <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> For Gilmer Gregor, Mike Adams, I'm Carly Gay. Have a happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and we will see you in a week with our year-end wrap-up. And after that, we'll see you in 2020. Keep it locked to NBA.com as well as NBA Sound System. Spread the word. It's the best podcast. Ever.